Welcome to People's History, and happy Juneteenth. This is the holiday that commemorates the end of slavery in the United States. Um, I'm going to be reading two letters today. Um, once One is contemporary to emancipation. It's a letter from uh, Jordan Anderson, an emancipated African-American, uh, to his former master. And the other is a letter by uh, author James Baldwin. So I'll start with Jordan Anderson. To my old master, Colonel P.H. Anderson, Big Spring, Tennessee, August 7th, 19... I'm sorry, 1865. Sir, I got your letter and was glad to find that you had not forgotten Jordan and that you wanted me to come back and live with you again, promising to do better for me than anybody else can. I've often felt uneasy about you. I thought the Yankees would have hung you long before this for harboring rebs they found at your house. I suppose they'd ever heard about your going to Colonel Martin's to kill the Union soldier that was left by his company in their stable. Although you shot at me twice before I left you, I did not want to hear of your being hurt, and I'm glad you're still living. It would do me good to go back to the dear old home again and see Miss Mary and Miss Martha and Alan, Esther, Green, and Lee, give my love to them all, and tell them I hope we will meet in a better world if not in this. I would have gone back to see you all when I was working in the Nashville hospital, but one of the neighbors told me that Henry intended to shoot me if he ever got a chance. I want you to know particularly what the good chance uh, is you propose to give me. I'm doing tolerably well here. I get $25 a month with vict victuals and clothing, have a comfortable home for Mandy, the folks call her Mrs. Anderson, and the children, Millie, Jane, and Grundy, go to school and are learning well. The teacher says Grundy has a head for a preacher. They go to Sunday school, and Mandy and me attend church regularly. We're kindly treated. Sometimes we overhear others saying, them colored people were slaves down in Tennessee. The children feel hurt when they hear such remarks. But I tell them it was no disgrace in Tennessee to belong to Colonel Anderson. Many darkies would have been proud, as I used to be, to call you master. Now if you will write and say what wages you will give me, I will be better able to decide whether it would be to my advantage to move back again. As to my freedom, which you say I can have, there's nothing to be gained on that score, as I got my free papers in 1864 from the Provost Marshal General of the Department of Nashville. Mandy says she'd be afraid to go back without some proof you were disposed to treat us, treat us justly and kindly, and we've concluded to test your sincerity by asking you to send us our wages for the time we served you. This will make us forget and forgive old scores and rely on your justice and friendship in the future. I served you faithfully for 32 years and Mandy 20 years. At $25 a month for me and $2 a week for Mandy, our earnings would amount to $11,680. Add to this the interest for the time our wages have been kept back, deduct what you paid for our clothing, and three doctor's visits to me and pulling a tooth for Mandy, and the balance will show that we are in what we are in justice entitled to. Please send the money by Adams Express in care of V. Winters, Esquire, Dayton, Ohio. If you fa fail to pay us for faithful labors in the past, we can have little faith in your promises in the future. We trust the good maker has opened your eyes to the wrongs which you and your fathers have done to me and my fathers in making us toil for you for generations without recompense. Here I draw my wages every Saturday night, but in Tennessee there was never any payday for the Negroes any more than for the horses and cows, and surely there will be a day of reckoning for those to defraud the labor of his hire. In answering this letter, please state if there would be any safety for my Millie and Jane, who are now grown up and both good-looking girls. You know how it was with poor Matilda and Catherine. I'd rather stay here and starve and die if it came to that than have my girls brought to shame by the violence and wickedness of their young masters. You will also please state if there's been any schools open for the colored children in your neighborhood, the great desire of my life, 
now is to give my children an education and have them form virtuous habits. Say howdy to George Carter and thank him for taking the pistol from you when you were shooting at me. From your, your old servant, Jordan Anderson. The next is a letter by author James Baldwin to his nephew, uh, who had the same name he, had, he did. Uh, he wrote it and published it in 1962. Dear James, I've begun this letter five times and torn it up five times. I keep seeing your face, which is also the face of your father and my brother. I've known both of you all your lives and have carried your daddy in my arms and on my shoulder, kissed him and spanked him and watched him learn to walk. I don't know if you've known anybody from that far back. If you've loved anybody that long, first as an infant, then as a child, then as a man, you gain a strange perspective on time and human pain and effort. Other people cannot see what I see whenever I look into your father's face. For behind your father's face, as it is today, are all those other faces which were his. Let him laugh, and I see a cellar your father does not remember, and a house he doesn't remember, and I hear in, the pr in his present laughter his laughter as a child. Let him curse, and I remember his falling down the cellar steps and howling. And I remember with pain and tears, which my hand, or your grandmother's hand, so easily wiped away. But no one's hand can wipe away those tears he sheds invisibly today, which one hears in his laughter and in his speech and his, in his songs. I know what the world has done to my brother and how much narrowly, uh, and how narrowly he has survived it. And I know, which is much worse, and this is the crime of which I accuse my country and my countrymen, and for which neither I, nor time, nor history will ever forgive them, that they have destroyed and are destroying hundreds of thousands of lives, and they do not know it and do not want to know it. One can be, indeed, one must strive to become tough and philosophical concerning destruction and death, for this is what most of mankind has been best at since we've heard of war. Remember, I said most of mankind, but it is uh, not permissible that the authors of devastation should also be innocent. It is the innocence which constitutes the crime. Now, my dear namesake, these innocent and well-meaning people, your countrymen, have caused you, caused you to be born under conditions not far removed of those described for us by Charles Dickens in the London of more than a hundred years ago. I hear the chorus of innocent screaming, No, this is not true. How bitter you are. But I'm writing this letter to you to try to tell you something about how to handle them. For most of them do not yet really know that you exist. I know the conditions under which you were born, for I was there. Your countrymen were not there and haven't made it yet. Your grandmother was also there, and no one has ever accused her of being bitter. I suggest that the innocent check with her. She isn't hard to find. Your countrymen know, don't know that she exists either, although she's been working for them all their lives. Well, you were born, here you came, something like 15 years ago, and your father and mother and grandmother, looking about the streets through which they were carrying you, staring at the walls into which they brought you, had every reason to be heavy-hearted. Uh, yet they were not, for here you were, Big James, named for me. You were a big baby. I wasn't. Here you were to be loved, to be loved, baby, hard at once and forever to strengthen you against the loveless world. Remember that. I know how black it looks today for you. It looked black that day, too. Yes, we were trembling. We've not stopped trembling yet. But if we had not loved each other, none of us would have survived. And now you must survive, because we love you, and for the sake of your children and your children's children. This innocent country set you down in a ghetto in which, in fact, it intended that you should perish. Let me spell out precisely what I mean by that. For the heart of the matter is here, and the crux of my dispute with my country. You were born where you were born, and faced the future that you faced because you were black and for no other reason. 
The limits to your ambition were thus expected to be settled. You were born into a society which spelled out with brutal clarity and is in as many ways as possible that you were a worthless human being. You were not expected to aspire to excellence. You were expected to make peace with mediocrity. Wherever you've turned, James, in your short time on this earth, you've been told where you could go and what you could do and how you could do it, where you could live and whom you could marry. I know your countrymen do not agree with me here, and I hear them, saying, you exaggerate. They don't know Harlem, and I do. So do you. Take no one's word for anything, including mine, but trust your experience. Know whence you came. If you know whence you came, there's really no limit to where you can go. The details and symbols of your life have been deliberately constructed to make you believe what white people say about you. Please try to remember that what they believe, as well as what they do and cause you to endure, does not testify to your inferiority, but to their inhumanity and fear. Please try to be clear, dear James, though the storm which raises about your youthful head today, about the reality which lies behind the words acceptance and integration. There is no reason for you to try to become like white men, and there is no basis whatsoever for their impertinent assumption that they must accept you. The really terrible thing, old buddy, is that you must accept them. And I mean that very seriously. You must accept them, and accept them with love, for these innocent people have no other hope. They are, in effect, still, still trapped in a history which they do not understand, and until they understand it, they cannot be released from it. They've had to believe for many years, and for innumerable reasons, that black men are inferior to white men. Many of them indeed know better, but as you will discover, people find it very difficult to act on what they know. To act is to be committed, and to be committed is, in danger, is to be in danger. In this case, the danger in the minds and hearts of most white Americans is the loss of their identity. Try to imagine how it would feel if you woke up one morning to find the sun shivering and all the stars aflame. You'd be frightened because it's out of the order of nature. Any upheaval in the universe is terrifying because it so profoundly attacks one's sense of one's own reality. While the black man has functioned in the white man's world as a fixed star, as an immovable pillar, and as he moves out of his place, heaven and earth are shaken to their foundations. You don't be afraid. I said it was intended that you should perish in the ghetto, perish by never being allowed to go beyond and behind the white man's definition, by never being allowed to spell your proper name. You have, and many of us have, defeated this intention. And by a terrible law, a terrible paradox, those innocents who believe that your impressions made them safe, that your imprisonment made them safe, are losing their grasp of reality. But these men are your brothers, your lost younger brothers, and if the word integration means anything, this is what it means that we with love shall force our brothers to see themselves as they are, to cease fleeing from reality, and to begin to change it. For this is your home, my friend. Do not be driven from it. Great men have done great things here, and will again, and we can make America what America must become. It will be hard, James, but you come from sturdy peasant stock, men who picked cotton, dammed rivers, built railroads, and in the teeth of the most terrifying odds, achieved an unassailable and monumental dignity. You come from a long line of great poets, some of the greatest poets since Homer. One of them said, The very time I thought I was lost, my dungeon shook and my chains fell off. You know, and I know, that the country is celebrating 100 years of freedom, 100 years too early. We cannot be free until they are free. God bless you, James, and Godspeed. Your uncle, James. Thanks for listening. On the way out, we're going to listen to Harry Belafonte's uh, Michael Rowe, The Boat Ashore. 
um, a spiritual attributed to emancipated uh, African Americans in the 1860s. Um, Harry Belafonte, of course, was a hero to the civil rights movement and, uh, and to socialists in the United States. And this is his rendition. Thank you. Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. 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 This old world's a mighty big place, hallelujah. It's got Satan all over its face, hallelujah. Jordan River is chilly and cold, hallelujah. But it warms the human soul, hallelujah. So Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. Michael rode that boat ashore, hallelujah. Did you hear what old Jonah said? Hallelujah, when the world thought he was dead. Hallelujah, I was taking me a ride. Hallelujah, in that big old whale's inside. Hallelujah, so Michael rode the boat ashore. Hallelujah, Michael rode the boat ashore. Hallelujah, Michael rode the boat ashore. Hallelujah. Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. They put Daniel in the lion's den, hallelujah. Then he walked right out again, hallelujah. The reason them lions permitted that, hallelujah, was that Daniel had no fat, hallelujah. So Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. Michael rode that boat ashore, hallelujah. Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. They nailed Jesus to the cross, hallelujah. But his fate was never lost, hallelujah. So Christian soldiers off to war, hallelujah. Hold that line in Arkansas, hallelujah. Like Joshua at Jericho, hallelujah. Alabama's next to go, hallelujah. So Mississippi, kneel and pray, hallelujah. Some of us is on the way, hallelujah. I could the boat ashore, hallelujah. I Hallelujah, I could run for the shore. Hallelujah.